we thank you for Rod and the gift that he's been given. We, um, we pray that you'd bless him as he speaks, and we pray that you'd soften our hearts and open them up to your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There we are. Okay. We're in 1 Corinthians, as you will know, and we are finishing, if you like, the, the, the section on spiritual gifts and worship uh, that Paul has been talking about since chapter 12, 12 through to 14. So, here we go. What shall we say then, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each one of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at most three, should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Women should remain silent in the churches. They're not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they themselves will be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Wow. <laughs> Those of you who knew what passage was coming up have uh, sort of said, oh dear, you've got another short straw. <laughs> well, maybe. Let's have a look and see. Let's, let's look at the issue first of all. What about the women <laughs> in verses 34 and 35? Okay, we need to deal with this because if we don't deal with it, we're not dealing with the whole passage. Uh, let's, let's see um, what we can say about it. Now, the technical bit. I'm sorry that they're going to be technical bits, but I think we have to understand a little bit of the technical bits so that we can understand the passage correctly. Many old manuscripts, many old manuscripts are arranged like this. 
which is exactly the way that we read it this morning. Now let me say that, of course, the, the New Testament, as the Bible as a whole, but the New Testament is a, a translation of old manuscripts, very old. We haven't got the original ones, but there's, there's a lot of agreement between these manuscripts so we know really uh, what, what was written. So many old manuscripts, it's arranged like this. But there's a whole group of other manuscripts that are arranged like that. In other words, the word, the, the piece about the women is at the end of the chapter. And it's interesting that those old manuscripts are all Western ones. In other words, they've been discovered west of Greece. Interesting. Now, these words are in all manuscripts. I don't, I, if, you, if you look at John chapter 8, for instance, you will find that the story of the woman who's caught in adultery is missing from some manuscripts. But these words are in them all. But they've got rearranged. Now, there are three explanations <laughs> as to why this could have happened. One, that the arrangement on the left is original. And then some scribes came along and thought, oh, that looks a bit funny. So they put it at the end. Or that the arrangement on the right is original. <laughs> and the ones on the left were sort of amended. But there's a third explanation. That those words in red weren't there at the beginning. And someone who was copying the New Testament, copying the letters of Paul, thought, hi, what about what Paul says in 1 Timothy? And put a comment in red by the side. And then another scribe came along and put it right into the hole. Now that's a radical thing to say, isn't it? That is radical. Oh. So it could be, it could be, and I'm not going to get any more technical, but it could be that actually those words were not written by Paul at all. And there's other things to say. If you think about it, the plain meaning of those words contradict what Paul has said elsewhere. He's talked in chapter 11, and if you remember, we talked about uh, all the frenzied activity that was going on in Corinth and... and uh, we, we said that Paul, Paul said to the ladies, you must act as ladies should and then you can pray and prophesy. But now in these verses he's saying women should be silent. So the plain meaning, and I don't think anybody can escape this, the plain meaning contradicts what Paul says in chapter 11. Now, I know some of you are thinking, because I've thought it as well, uh, that 
Yes, there are other ways of explaining this. Okay. Secondly, these words interrupt the flow. If you take out the bit about ladies, the whole thing makes sense. Ooh, this is radical. So, what's the explanation? There are loads of things that have been offered. There really are. And some of them are far too technical, and it's about the type of women in the church or speaking in tongues and so on. There are lots and lots of explanations that have been offered. But this is the simplest, that because of the newfound freedom, some women are chattering during the worship. And that's often an explanation that's given. It's leaving the words in. To me, there are two big problems with that explanation. And the first is this. The word speak, at that point, has to change meaning to chattering. Whereas all through the chapter and the few verses after, it means just plain speak. And the other big problem is this. The worship in Corinth was chaotic. It was frenzied. It was ecstatic. It was all over the place. There were people speaking at high volume in, in tongues, in other languages. And it was frenetic. And now Paul is supposed to be worried about a little bit of chattering. We've, we, the temptation is to read back our situation into Corinth. So you say, well, Rod, what are you going to do about it? Well, I'm going to leave it. <laughs> <laughs> that may be the coward's way out. I think I've said enough. If you want to leave it in, that's absolutely fine. And if, if that explanation satisfies you, that's absolutely fine. I've dealt with it as far as I can go. And I will, I, will, I will stand here and honestly say to you, having looked at all the stuff, having read lots of stuff, having looked at uh, and thought about it, I don't know. Well, I thank God that he does. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> Let's look at some last things first. The very end of what Paul says is, is quite strident. The rest is quite mild, but the last thing that he says is quite strident. And he says this, he said, did the word of God originate with you? What he's saying is, how could, how could the Corinthians have got themselves into this position? Their worship was frenzied, chaotic, all over the place. And he's saying, well, how, how, could, how could that have happened? Well, he says, did the word of God originate with you? So there was pride in the people of Corinth. There was pride that they got it right. There was pride that they knew what God wanted and therefore what they were doing was fine. Pride. Secondly, he says, or are you the only people that the gospel, the word of God has reached? In other words, as a people, they didn't take account of anybody else. They had no relationship with other churches, really. And if you're isolated and you don't relate to others, you don't learn. You don't, you don't see what else is happening on the wider front. 
And so they, they just got into this frenzied type worship. And Paul says, right, you think, you think well, you're, you've got prophets there. If anyone thinks that, I've got the word of God as well. And there was a lack of recognition of his ministry and the ministry of others. And we need wider ministry for checks and balances of what we do. And finally, he says, ignorance. If anybody ignores what I'm saying, God will ignore him. Without going into that too much, what does it mean? It means this, God is interested in our worship. In fact, he's more than interested. He has a very big part in it. You know, one of the sad things, and I've done it myself, one of the sad things is when we talk about worship, we often say, I prefer this or I like that, or I want something else. Can you hear what we're saying? I want it. But what about God? Isn't he interested? He's the one that we're worshipping. Oh, what does he want? If you like, that's the negative, right. Let's get on to the positive. Let's get on to what Paul says about worship here. Okay. A week ago, I was in Romania. Well, it's eight days ago now. But I was in Romania. I have said to people that often my visits are good, and they are. And this one was good, but this one was absolutely excellent. And uh, I'm at a church that's called Christian Life Fellowship. That's the Romanian logo on the left and the, on the right the pictures are just a general view of, of the village where the church is and it, it's, it's, it's a church that if you like punches above its weight. One of the things that I've always been impressed there is their worship. It's, it's spirit filled worship, it's worship that flows and it's worship that's powerful and I've, I've, I've enjoyed it, I've loved it for a number of years now but there was something else there this year. The Spirit is doing something else there. So that as we met together, and I had to speak um, six occasions on five days, which was quite heavy going, but as we met together, we never really knew what God was going to do because the Spirit was really there. He was present, and there was ministry, and there was prophetic, and there, was, there were healings, and you, it was a, there was a sense of excitement and anticipation. Here we are, gathering for worship. What is God going to do? If you like, it wasn't at all predictable. And what Paul writes in the words that we're going to look at now, Paul is obviously saying, worship should not be predictable. And it shouldn't. Now, when we think of things like that, we, our mind drifts to those, those churches that have a, a whole liturgy for their, for their Sunday mornings. And I'm not criticising that, because in the liturgy of the Anglican church, say in morning prayer or evening prayer, there's some excellent stuff. 
And in fact, I think people in those churches hear far more of the Bible than we do. Because they have an Old Testament reading, a Gospel and an Epistle reading. So that's wonderful. So let's not criticise that because they are, if you like, the whole thing is predictable. But isn't ours predictable? Where did our liturgy come from? What is our liturgy? One week we have five, six songs and a preach. That's our liturgy. The other week is we have five, six songs, communion and a preach. That's our liturgy. And in a very real sense, it's predictable. Now, we, we trust that within that, God will give gifts and words and, and whatever, which will, if you like, take away some of that predictability. But our liturgy is as just as set as the Anglicans. We know what's going to happen. We're going to sing some songs, and you're going to listen to a preach. And yet, I believe God, God in the Scriptures here, Paul in the Scriptures here, is saying there's something more. Yes, there's got to be form. There's got to be order. Hear what I'm saying. You know, Phil Moore, who wrote, who's writes Straight from the Heart series, he does Straight from the Heart of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Phil Moore says about this passage that our worship should reveal something of the invisible character of God. Our worship should reveal something of the invisible character of God. Let's look at what Paul says with that in mind. What is revealed about God in the worship that Paul is describing? First, he's a God of grace and variety. He's a God of grace. We're talking here about charismata, gifts of grace. It's all of grace. None of us can earn God's gifts. And when God, the Holy Spirit, brings gifts, there's infinite variety in what happens. So, first of all, Someone brings a hymn. Please don't think of a book and a pipe organ. That's not New Testament. There were no such things as pipe organs in Paul's day, do you know? Don't think of a book. What, what's, what's it mean? It means a song, some of which may have been prepared. There are hymns in the New Testament. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Look at the book of Revelation. We know something of what they used to sing in the earliest church. A hymn that is prayer, a prepared or spontaneous, a song. There they are worshipping God. And suddenly somebody bursts out in a song. A song of love, a song of adoration, a song of praise, of worship to the Lord as the Spirit gives it. And everybody can feel that. As a word of instruction. Not necessarily, not, don't think of the prepared sermon here. That doesn't mean to say it wasn't prepared. But here is someone said, I believe God is showing me this. 
and it's shared with the rest of the people and God is by the Spirit teaching, instructing as the people worship. There's revelation, which could include the prophetic word or words of wisdom or words of knowledge. This is what God's heart is. This is what God's plan is and purpose is for this people at this time. This is what God is revealing through the Spirit. What a wonderful thing. You know, you come together and each time you come together, you think, what is God going to reveal this week? What an expectation that is. Or there's a tongue speaking in an unknown language. As we were thinking about last week, an utterance of praise or worship or prayer or those groaning that Paul says in Romans, least included in this, this, that phrase, those, those, those groanings and sighs that are too deep for words where the heart pours out to God and there are not English words in our case to, to cope with that. And you find that the Spirit prays through you. And if that happens in public, if that's made public, then the interpretation, which is the gist, or the summary, or the impact of what has been spoken. What a variety. Because God is a God of grace. He's a God of beauty. And those, those, those contributions reflect the beauty, the variety that there is in our God, who is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So, he's a God who hears. So Paul then talks about speaking in unknown languages. And of course those languages are expressed to God. And he says two or at least most three should speak. That's a little bit ambiguous actually. It could mean that two or three speak and then you get an interpretation and then you could have more or it could mean that in in one session, if you like, there are two or at most three. And I think because he uses the word at most, that is more likely the explanation. Why would Paul limit that? Well, not for reasons that are here, but for reasons that in Corinth it was totally out of hand. It's not a charge that can be levelled against us, I think. So, Paul says, two or at most three per meeting. Then, one at a time. In other words, everybody's in control. You don't have to. One at a time, let one person speak, and then another. Good order. And then, each language which must be interpreted. Now, if you put the whole passage together, there is either by the person who actually speaks in the unknown language or someone else. If you, if you put the whole passage together, they are the options. So, if the person speaks out in a, in a language that he or she does not understand, 
he or she must be confident that there is an interpretation going to come. And if you've not, then speak to yourself. It is speak to yourself, not necessarily keep totally silent, but keep, but speak to yourself. You know, there is a special issue about uh, bringing an unknown language, a, a tongue, if you like. Now, if you've been, if you bring a prophetic word, you only bring the prophetic word when God gives that to you. At home, you don't go around speaking, speaking prophetic words the whole time. Or, if, if, if God gifts, gifts you with words of wisdom or words of knowledge, that only happens when God gives it to you, gives them to you. But speaking in unknown languages is different. Because you can turn it on and off. So, I mean, I could, I won't, but I could now, now speak in tongues to you. I won't because I'm not confident there would be an interpretation and that would be just, you know, display. Not honouring God, I don't think. So, when we're together and the fact that you can turn, if you like, you're speaking in a language on and off, you have to be very sensitive to the Spirit to know when that, that should happen publicly. Because when it happens publicly, there must be an interpretation. Now, you might know that there's someone who gets that gift regularly and therefore you've got confidence. Or you would say, no, I, I'm going to interpret myself if all else fails. Or you're just going to trust God and see what happens. But if there's no interpretation, the onus falls back on you. So that's why we have to be sensitive to the Spirit. So that when that happens, then there is an interpretation. Interestingly, um, and it's happened I think a couple of times, even while I've been here, I've, I've, I've felt I've had an interpretation and there hasn't been a tongue. That can happen. You know, we're all growing. We're all growing together. And you know, I think it was Mike Pilavachi said, if you make a mistake, nobody dies. They don't. And we should have love and confidence in each other. If there's a mistake, so what? We're learning. We're children of God. We make mistakes. Yeah, we admit the mistakes. We move on. I tell you what, I, 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 I'll speak for myself. I would far rather somebody step out and make a mistake than bottle something up that we should have had. God, who listens to our worship and our praise and our praying, but he's a God who, who speaks as well. Isn't that amazing? That the eternal God speaks to us? Because that's what the prophetic is. So Paul says two or three prophets should speak. Now, 
This is a bit the same as he said two or three should speak in an unknown language. But he also says, I'd want you all to prophesy, and you can all prophesy in turn. So two or three is not necessarily the limit per meeting. But two or three, then a pause, so that we can weigh up what is being said. And I believe that weighing is not just by those who prophesy, but the whole body. The interesting thing is, Paul doesn't tell us how to do it. He just says we've got to weigh it, but he doesn't say how we should do it. But let me suggest this. When you hear a prophetic word, when somebody brings something, like we had this morning about somebody standing in a room and and wanting to be free and God will show you the, the way out, there's a corporate, somehow there's a bodily response that says, yeah, even though we, we've not said it. It's, just, it's spiritually discerned. But I think leadership is very important here. Because ultimately, as has been said uh, by James, that the leaders have that pastoral responsibility for the flock. Yeah, and if something, again, if something goes wrong, well, we'll get over it. But when we hear from God, we need to know that we, we are hearing what God is saying here. And so, this morning, there was this, this picture and, and the, the vision, if you like, of somebody trapped in a room, and then there was an explanation about how Christ sets us free. Wonderful. The thing about prophetic, though, is it's easy to get carried away. You know, you can start speaking, and then the Spirit says, that's enough but you don't hear what the Spirit says and you just carry on. <laughs> it's easily done. It is easily done. So you can embellish or enlarge and it becomes human enlargement on that. It's easy to get carried away. Paul says, be careful on that. And if somebody else has got something, then, uh, and he says, the person is sitting down, so that's hardly frenzied worship, then, then the first person should stop. Because the spirit of the prophet is in the control of the prophets. Not on the word, that's God's responsibility. But on when and how it's delivered. Do you know, when people prophesy, it's, it's in line with their character and temperament, isn't it? So somebody who's soft and gently spoken, that's the way that person will prophesy. And somebody who's a bit more excitable, well, the prophetic might be a bit more excitable. But it's just in line with the person's character. We find it in the scriptures. Isaiah has a different character to Jeremiah, to Ezekiel, etc. But God speaks. We come together to hear God speak. Now that, I trust, is is through the word as it's proclaimed, preached. But there's the prophetic as well. And finally, it's a God of peace. And this is where you can put those controversial verses, if you like. You can pop them here. He's a God of peace. You know, Paul's big idea, we're coming around full circle, we've always said the big idea in verse 33 is this that everything Paul has said has to do 
with the character of God. Because he's a God of peace. He's a God of order. He's a God who, cre- uh, who is creator of variety and beauty. So he's not a God of disorder. The Corinthians' worship was frenetic, frenzied, over the top. That was the Corinthians' worship. It reflected more the worship of idols than ever it did of of God who is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And Paul is correcting that and he's saying, we worship a God of peace. And that's how your worship should be characterised. A God of peace, a God of harmony, a God of unity, a God of variety, a God of beauty. So, a question. What impression of God would people get from our worship? That's interesting, isn't it? I have to say to you, I had never, ever really thought about that until I studied this. That as we meet together, what impression of God do we get? I mean, Paul, earlier in the passage, uh, talks about the prophetic, where the the secrets of a, a person's heart is revealed, and he falls down and says, God is really among you. What is the God? What is God? Does God look like as we worship? Is he a God that is English? Dull? Plodding? Scottish? Or is it a God who is, is wonderful, who is variety, who, who is, is someone who is attractive? And, you know, in the worship, it's like, I want to know this God. The, the way that the people are worshipping draws me to the one that they worship. Yeah. The way, the way that these people praise draws me in praise to him. The way that these people fall, if you like, in awe and wonder causes me to wonder at the God we worship. It's not just about singing songs, folks. It isn't as good as those songs are. It's not just about the form and and what we do. It's about being in the presence of Almighty God. 
and others coming in and saying, surely God is among you. Because we are here, because we are worshipping, because we're offering to him our praise and adoration, then it's obvious God is here. So, Be eager to prophesy. Don't forbid speaking in tongues. He's a God of... Everything's got to be done decently in order, but that happens here. In some ways, I think God says, break out of your decency and worship me full throttle. Do you know, that's how I would like to finish. We haven't got much time but we just stood and worshipped God. I haven't a clue what the last song is. Um, whether it's appropriate, Paul, I don't know. Where are we? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, dear. Do you know I, what I would really love, Paul, I, I, this is really putting you on the spot, is some simple worship song, you know? Yeah, it's... <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's, let's, just, let's just pray for a minute. Let's just wait before God and give, give these guys, I put them on the spot, let's give them a moment. Lord, <laughs> Lord, help us in these moments, even as we're bowed before you, to say to you, we love you, we honour you, we worship you. You are a wonderful God. You are beautiful. You're beautiful beyond description. You are, Lord. There we go. That's a song. Can we do that? No, we got one up there. Lord, we just praise you. What you got, Paul? I'll try a sim- I sing a simple song of love. Yeah, why not? I might do another one after that. We'll see how much time we've got.